0: A number of years ago, there was a best-selling book written by a rabbi. It was written by Rabbi Harold Kushner. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It was titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. This uh, ended up being a, a best-selling book. And Rabbi Kushner, he wrote this book after the death of his son Aaron. Aaron. Uh, who died two days after his 14th birthday. Rabbi Kushner in the book says that he and his wife had been concerned about their son's health even when he was very young. At the age of about eight months, their son, they noticed he stopped gaining any weight. And after his uh, first birthday, they noticed the son uh, started losing his hair as well. And for a while, the doctors weren't able to tell exactly what was wrong with him. Uh, Some of the doctors assured him that uh, he would grow up and be fine. He may be on the shorter side of things, but normal in other ways. Uh, But eventually, a doctor was able to diagnose their son Aaron uh, with a disease called progeria, or rapid aging. And the doctor told him that his son would never grow to be taller than three feet tall. He would not have any hair on his head or his body. And with this rapid aging, would look like a a little old man while he was still young and still in his teens and would die early. Kushner writes, quote, Like most people, My wife and I had grown up with an image of God as an all-wise, all-powerful parent figure who would treat us as our earthly parents did or even better. If we were obedient and deserving, he would reward us. If we got out of line, he would discipline us, reluctantly but firmly. He would protect us from being hurt or from hurting ourselves, and he would see to it that we got what we deserved in life. Then... That day came in the hospital when the doctors told us about Aaron and explained what progeria meant. It contradicted everything I had been taught. And I could repeat over and over again in my head, this can't be happening. It's not how the world is supposed to work. Tragedies like this were supposed to happen to selfish, dishonest people whom I, as a rabbi, would then try to comfort by assuring them of God's forgiving love. How could it be happening to me, to my son, if what I believed about the world was true? End quote. Is it true? Is it true that bad things are only supposed to happen to bad people? And that if something bad happens to someone, well, it must be because that person had it coming, right? And when good things happen to the rest of us, it must be a sign that God is well and pleased with us. That he must be super happy that we are we're just living a life that brings him pleasure in, in absolutely everything we do. we're do. We're so super fantastic, right? Bad things do happen to people. And you're aware of that. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in today's passage in Luke 13. Let's look at this. We'll read the first section. We're going to deal with the first nine verses, but we'll read the first five to begin with. It says, There was some present at that very time who told him, told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all, likewise, perish. I want to think about the question today, why do bad things happen to people? And I've grouped this into uh, to five points to help us to make, try to start to make sense of this. We're not going to be able to answer everything and put a nice little ribbon on top of all of life's problems. But hope that God's word is going to give us things that we need to hear and direction for us to have. And I think the first thing that we need to realize from this passage and from Scripture, when we think why do bad things happen to people, the first thing is that it is not because they are outside of God's control. One of the reasons that they happen is not because they were outside of God's control. I mentioned Harold Kushner in the book he wrote, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And in this book, which, by the way, I I do not recommend, um, he says that he had this former view that, yeah, bad things happen to to bad people and good things happen to good people. But he realized, well, I'm I'm a good person, I'm a good rabbi, yet this happened to me. And as he goes through this, and over 14 years uh, watching his son age prematurely and then die, uh, the conclusion that he comes to is that he had been wrong about this view of God, giving people what they deserve, but his conclusion is that really God would prefer to, to not give any of us suffering. God would prefer not to, to have any of this happen, but, and God is doing the best that he can. He's just not able to pull it off. God feels your pain, God empathizes with you through this, but he's limited. And he cannot make these things happen. In the book, he says that sometimes these things happen for no reason at all. In fact, chapter 3 in the book is literally titled, Sometimes There Is No Reason. Let me ask you, does that, does that comfort you more or less to think that the tragedies that you have in your life would happen for, for no reason whatsoever? Say, well, God's off the hook because it, it's just random. It just, it just happens. And God is not in control of these things at all. So does that bad things happen to everyone because of the chance and the, well, the laws, the inflexible laws of nature? And there's no exceptions for, for nice people. God didn't cause these things to happen and God does not have a plan for them. God is good, he just can't stop these things. Kushner writes, quote, God would like to give people what they deserve in life, but he cannot always arrange it, Unquote. And reading this, you're supposed to be comforted by the idea that God feels really bad about your pain, but he just can't do anything about it. Kushner also writes, quote, he says, I believe in God, but I do not believe the same things about him that I did years ago when I was growing up or when I was a theological student. I recognize his limitations. He is limited in what he can do by the laws of nature and by the evolution of human nature and human moral freedom.'" I no longer hold God responsible for illnesses, accidents, and natu- natural disasters because I realize that I gain little and lose so much when I blame God for these things. And he goes on to say that the tragedies have, have no meaning. The best you can do in these tragedies is you can try to find a meaning in them, but there's no inherent meaning in these things. Like I said, I, I don't recommend this book. Um, unless you want to read it just to make you grateful that these things are not true. And when I read this, it was, it was heartbreaking to think that this was his worldview and that so many people reading this, and, and this was written decades ago, uh, but all the people that have read this over the years that, uh, that found comfort in this, uh, just what a false comfort that is. And what a shallow comfort to, to think that God is out of control, that there's no purpose in these things, that they're just, they're just random events uh, that, that happened to us and reading this book, too, I just noticed it, there's, he had no confidence in scripture, at times even disagreeing with biblical authors, saying they, they said things that were wrong, no confidence in in heaven, in there being an afterlife where the judge can can make things and put everything right. He has no confidence that prayer does anything or can change anything, and no real sense that we are guilty. I mean, the title of the book is Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. No sense that we are fallen in sin and we need a Savior, much less the recognition that the Savior has come in Jesus Christ. Sad to read. But in the passage that we read in Luke, we don't even see a whiff of this kind of thinking. There, there's nothing in this that indicates that, that God gets off the hook because, well, he's just, he, he couldn't have anything to do with it. That uh, it's just out of his control. He would have kept this from happening, but he couldn't interfere with, um, with Pilate's soldiers. And, you know, the, the tower that falls, well, you know, bad engineering and the laws of nature, and if it's going to fall, it's going to fall. And, well, there's nothing God can do about it. You don't see any of this in that passage. Now you might be thinking, well, okay, Jesus doesn't go there and he doesn't say that, but that could be an argument from silence. Well, in case you're thinking that, let me just point out that in the entire rest of Scripture, you never see God getting off the hook for the bad things that are going on by saying that he is not sovereign. That there are areas where it's just, well, it's, that he, it's out of his control. You know, he can't touch the laws of nature or physics. They are what they are and God's just got to stay in his lane. No, we need to make this clear. God cannot be blamed for these things as if he did something wrong. But the Bible never tries to get God off the hook by suggesting that he he just couldn't do anything about it. In fact, there's so many other passages in Scripture that that say the opposite, that confirm that God is sovereign over all things. I'll give you just a, a, a sampling of these. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about this and we went over way more than, than just these. Uh, if, you, if you're not coming to a Sunday school class, if this is something you want to go more in depth in, I, I welcome you to come to the, uh, the West Overflow class. Uh, Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things... After the counsel of his will. All things. Not just some things, all things. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Lamentations 3, 37-38. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Uh, Lamentations is being written. After Jerusalem... Was destroyed, utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. That it says that the Lord sent as punishment to them because of their sin that they kept committing and kept committing. And it says, "Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth?" Matthew ten twenty seven. Are not two perils, sparrows sold for a cent, for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from from the will of your Father? as we've talked about even an insignificant bird isn't going to to fall apart from God's his will his permission his design his plan and then we can see how God is even at work in human decisions at the end of uh, genesis there's a story of of Joseph having been uh, sold into slavery by his 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 brothers and all this mistreatment that he goes through and all these things that the people did to him and at the end, he says to his uh, brothers when they come down to Egypt because there was famine in the land, Joseph says to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So the first thing we want to make clear is the truth is that God is, God is sovereign over all things, and even over tragedies. And, and that is a good thing for us to know. That if these things do come into your life, it first has to pass through the the permission in the hand of your loving Father. And he will not do this unless he has his purposes for this. So that was the first point. But second, if we're thinking of why do these things happen, this is another reason why they don't happen. And this is a main point of this passage, is that, it is not because some people are worse sinners than others. So let's walk through this passage again that we, we had read. It says, Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so what's going on there? This is a gruesome tragedy that had happened. The Galileans were uh, from the northern part And they would have been obviously traveling south. This would have been, uh, we can surmise they would have been coming for Passover because that was the time that people that weren't priests did come with their sacrifices. They would have been bringing uh, lambs or some other animal for uh, the sacrifices at Passover. And we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, There are some records in history of uh, Pilate and others doing all kinds of terrible atrocities, uh, killings and uh, slaughterings. None of the ones that are recorded uh, seem to fit these details exactly, but it does show this is the type of thing that, that went on. So, this is very believable for this to have happened. So, it seems that these people were coming, and we don't know if there may have what kind of political motivations there were or why uh, Pilate was upset with them, but it seems that he would have sent his soldiers. And uh, would have slaughtered them and seemed to have slaughtered them along with their, uh, the sacrifices the lambs that they were bringing so that, and this is gruesome, that the, the blood from the humans and the blood from the animals was mingled together in this, this awful mess. Uh, one <laughs> commentator writing about this said you know, it, would, it would be the type of tragedy as if terrorists came into a church and shot worshipers as they were partaking of communion and mingled their blood with the, the communion wine or juice. And so these people come to Jesus with, with this issue. This happened, Jesus. What are you going to say a- about this? And Jesus, he doesn't reply uh, dealing with the politics, but he goes for the theological truth. He goes for what do they need to hear about their souls, about their destinies, and basically what he tells them is, don't think this happened because those people were, were worse sinners than you. And Jesus says in verse 2, don't suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate. Because that's the mindset. Well, this happened to them. They must have brought it on themselves for something. You know, it's, you know, they're stirring up trouble with their protests or whatever they were doing. You know, they brought it on themselves you know, we'll, we'll blame blame them, or maybe they had something in their private lives, uh, some kind of sin that they were committing, and obviously they were they were in trouble because of this. And Jesus was saying, no, that's that's not how this works. But it's a way that we often think. In fact, in the book I mentioned, Rabbi, Rabbi Kushner tells about one day having to deliver the news uh, to a family in his synagogue that their 19-year-old daughter, who had gone off to college, um, had died suddenly. just all of a sudden, a, a blood vessel burst in her brain, and she died. And he has to deliver this news to them. And he says, he was surprised that the, the first words that came out of their mouth, they said, You know, Rabbi, we didn't fast last Yom Kippur. They immediately thought, This happened because of us. This happened because of something that we have done. And this was God punishing us specifically for some sin that we have done. And that's one thing that we get out of this passage is Jesus is saying that's not how it works. And you see that in other scripture as well. That when bad things happen, do not think that it's necessarily because of some specific sin or some specific wrong thing that has happened. In, in the Gospel of John 9, verses 1 through 2, there's another story, another account. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples, Jesus' disciples, asked him, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So Jesus' own disciples just assumed this man is blind. It it must be because somebody sinned. Was it him specifically or was it his parents? Because that must be how it works. And Jesus replied, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We think also the book of Job. You think of the big message there is, uh, Job has all this tragedy that comes to him and his friends, that come and they try to comfort him and after a while they try to explain this to him and they think, well, we can, we can help you out if we get you to confess your sin because obviously, Job, this happened because of some specific sin that you have done. And Job saying, no, I can't think of a, a specific thing that, I have, that I've done. And they say, well, there must be something. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening to you. Now, I do need to say this. Sometimes, sometimes it is true that sin brings painful consequences. It is true. And there's sometimes scripture tells us that we're we're disciplined or punished because of specific sins. Sometimes. Sometimes there are sins that have natural consequences. So you do something and there are, are bad things that happen because of what you've done. And you can, on your own, think of probably two dozen examples very quickly. But not always. This passage is saying that not always. So when something bad happened to you, when you got a a specific diagnosis, when something happened uh, with a loved one that you had, when that thing that happened at work, it's not necessarily because of something that you've done. It's not God punishing you necessarily for something. Jesus gives another example. He talks about this tower that fell and, and killed 18 people in Siloam. We don't have a, another historical record for this, but this was probably common news to everyone there. They all knew about this. And he was saying, do you think that those people, they were worse? That somehow, you know, this tower just got ready and, you know, as soon as like the 18 worst people were right there, bam, now it falls and gets them. She's saying that's not not how it works. They were not worse sinners. Sometimes tragedies happen to faithful servants of the Lord. There's an account. One Sunday afternoon in Papua New Guinea, there were two Wycliffe missionaries, Walt and Yvonne, were resting alongside their daughters when precisely at 3 o'clock, a half-mile section of a mountain broke off and buried them alive. They may have never even known that it was coming. I think, what would be the purpose of that? I mean, just it's a, a random hill slide you know, in a, this land that, that needs Jesus, people, missionaries, faithfully trying to serve him. Was it this because of their sin? Uh, no, we wouldn't think so. And Jesus is telling us not all tragedy is due to specific sins. But what does Jesus tell? What is the message he wants us to get from this? And I'll tell us, he, he doesn't give a complete well, here's all the reasons why it happens. But he says, if you want to take one thing away from this, here's what you need first and foremost to get. And it's in this passage. The tragedies are warnings for us to turn from our rebellion and to turn to Christ for salvation. And notice, I think Jesus would have never authored a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, we've just made the point that sin, the, these tragedies do not always happen specifically because of some specific sin that somebody did. But we're not saying that people are good. Scripture teaches that, that we are sinners. And the fact that we live in a, in a world of sin and we are sinners in this world, well, that is the reason why we have tragedies. That is the reason why this world is broken. When the Lord made this world, He declared it good, and then we broke this world. Our, our forefather, Adam, was the first one that broke this world. And because of His decision, which we go along with every time that we sin as well, we add to how this world is, is broken. And Genesis 3 says we we live in a cursed world because of this. And notice in this passage, Jesus is saying, do you not think that they were worse sinners? When he's saying that they're worse sinners, obviously he is indicating that, well, you're all sinners. He's not saying that they're sinners, but you're not sinners. He's implying you are all sinners, and that's the truth of Scripture. Uh, We know that. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hey, that's the truth. We are sinners, and it is not okay. Just the fact that everyone has sinned does not mean it's, well, everyone sins, no big deal. It's a really big deal. We've sinned, we've rebelled against a holy, an infinitely holy God, and that's a huge deal. Now the reason we look around and we see some people, they seem good and other people seem like they're, they're terrible sinners is because we're just comparing people to people instead of comparing people to God as the standard. And there's a difference between being relatively good, you know, compared to your neighbor, at least on the surface, or compared to whatever standard you tend to choose, and we tend to choose the standards that make us look good. There's a difference between that and being really good. when we say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, sometimes when I explain that to people uh, with the gospel message, I'll say, you know, it's like if you had a contest to see who could jump all the way across Lake Michigan, and if you could jump all the way across Lake Michigan, you win a million dollars if you can do it all in one jump. And if we all did this, there might be some of us here that could jump way further than others, and some that could barely make it in the water, and some that could uh, look really good, And if we compare just one to another, we'd say, well, some people here are are, are really good, and some people uh, really fell short. We'd realize, who won the million dollars? Well, none of us. Because compared to jumping across Lake Michigan, and that's the goal, none of us came even close. If you looked at it from a satellite, you couldn't even tell the difference between us. And that's what it's like with our righteousness. Some of us, when we look around, it seems like some people are... Other people, they're so much better than you, or you're so much worse, or they're so much worse. From God's point of view, we're not even moving the dot on the radar. We're all guilty. And the truth is, then, it means we all got it coming. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. So tragedies are usually not because of any particular sin that we do, but it is because of sin. We live in a fallen, broken world because of human sin. None of us are innocent. We don't deserve all the blessings and joys that that we take for granted every day. When we think we deserve these things, we don't. We're, We're sinners. I know that apart from Christ, I deserve nothing but death and hell. That apart from Christ, that is what I deserve. And when that sinks in to you, you can't blame God if he gives me something that's closer to what I actually deserve. Because I, I don't deserve uh, friends and a nice church and great people and, and my wife and my kids and a warm house and a beautiful day and all the joys that we have. I, I deserve to be punished right here and right now apart from Christ. When I was in high school, I remember going to, to summer camp, and there was a speaker at the summer camp. I, I barely remember anything they said in the messages, but I remember walking with a friend of mine by the beach, and the speaker was uh, down by himself kind of swimming in the lake, and uh, we yelled to him, like, How you doing? I remember he yelled back, Better than I deserve. And my friend yelled back, What do you deserve? And he yelled back, Hell! That <laughs> made such an impact. It was, yeah. Any, any day that I am not in hell is a day I'm getting better than I deserve. No matter what bad news I've had, no matter how bad my day is, am I in hell? No. Better than I deserve. Now, it it takes the work of God for that to sink into your heart and for you to believe that. But when that does, that changes your perspective on everything. So the question is not, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, the deeper question is, (laughs) why do good things ever happen to bad people? And, And there's an answer. It's the grace of God. God's grace, his love, his, his mercy. You know, disasters, pain, tragedies, these are all reminders to us. They're all warnings to us that we live in a burning building that we set on fire. And it's warning us to, to flee the danger, to get out. And so we see these tragedies. Jesus is saying, you know, these people that were slaughtered, this tower that fell... It's a warning to us to not be so complacent, to realize this is what we all got coming. And so we need to repent. We need to get right with God while we still have a chance to. And God sometimes uses this to try and break us out of our stupor so we actually hear this and believe it. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says about pain, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That one of the reasons that God uses pain is to get our attention and to get us to to turn. And God is, is using this megaphone and he's shouting to you, repent, turn, get out of the burning building so you don't perish. Come to the one that can actually save you. Turn from your rebellion And turn to Jesus to be saved. Repentance is is the flip side of faith. There are two sides of the same coin. We turn away from our rebellion to God. We turn to Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. And genuine repentance, the true repentance, will consist of confession, contrition, and change. There will be an acknowledgement that we are sinners. What we've done is wrong. There will be some kind of contrition. It may look different in different people, but where we feel it in our heart that we're sorry for what we have done and at least a a desire to change, a desire to come to God, to flee from our rebellion. We may not be doing that perfectly, but there's a desire that is put there. And I have to add this. It's not directly in this passage, but I I can't talk about this without pointing this out that God will use even the most terrible tragedies for good. God never does anything for just one reason. If he does it for one reason, he does it for a hundred. If he does it for a hundred reasons, he does it for a hundred million reasons and beyond. God's plan connects with everything. He's going to use your pain for Him, not just one purpose, but for countless purposes in your lives, in the people around you, in a ripple effect that will extend to, to glory. And he does all of this, everything that he does, for his glory and for our good. At least for the good of those that have turned to him, that have repented. And we know this because Romans eight twenty eight gives us this beautiful promise. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So for believers, for those that have trusted Christ. So that means that this promise may not apply to you if you haven't repented and turned to Christ and accepted him as your Savior. But this promise can apply to you. This can apply to you if if you recognize that you're a sinner, this is bad. You recognize who Jesus is and you put your trust in him now as, as your personal Savior. He died on the cross and rose again doing everything that was required to save you from hell. He paid the price that you could never pay, and he paid it in full, and he offers this to you as a gift that you just have to turn to him and receive it by faith. And so even the the worst things God will use, and we know that because he used even the worst thing that ever happened for greatest purpose, The most evil thing that ever happened was putting the Son of God on the cross and killing him because he's the only actual good person that had a bad thing happen to him. So if you want to talk about why do bad things happen to a good person, it's because God chose that. Jesus chose that to save you so that you could go to heaven, so that you could be with him forever because there was no other way. And it was God's plan and it was Jesus' will and his desire to come and to hang on that cross in your place so you could be with God forever and have joy and have forgiveness and have salvation. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, was God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And finally, the time to repent is now. That's the point of this. There's a few more verses. Just read these very quickly. And he told this parable a man had a fig tree, and planted it planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? You know, it's using the, the nutrients from everything else. It's, it's not producing any good fruit. It's, it's a bad tree. Just cut it down. And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also. We'll give it one more year. We'll give it a chance. Until I dig around it and put on some manure, some fertilizer. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You know, we deserve punishment now. God is giving us a time out of his patience for us to come to him. A time where we can turn to him. But don't presume that this will last forever. It it isn't. One day we will leave this earth, and once we do, our opportunity is over, and we don't know when that's going to be. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As one person said, life is tragic Life is hard. Tragedy is hard and life is short. But life is more tragic if one does not turn to God. All these tragedies that you see, in a sense, God uses them as a grace for the greatest thing, to get your attention and to turn you to him so that you can be saved and be with him forever. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you praise. We give you our thanks. And Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, I pray for any that have not yet turned to you, that uh, even now in these last minutes, that they would flee to you for safety, Lord. That they would stop depending on themselves. They would come to you to be saved, Lord God. And they would accept what Jesus Christ has done for them. And for those of us that have come to you, Lord God, we thank you for the words of scripture. We thank you for who you have revealed yourself to be, Lord. And that every pain, every tragedy that we have has purpose from you. And you will use it for so much good, for your glory, and for our ultimate good as well. And you will give us comfort in the midst of even the hardest times. Help us to trust in you. Help us to praise you. In Jesus Christ, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.